Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delicio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. Thank you for joining us for our latest episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. My name is Mike Delicio, and I am your host of the show. Um, we have a very special episode today um, as we will be diving in to the subject of business management in pharmacy. Um, this is obviously a bit of a, almost a switch of gears and, and a different angle of things that we've done thus far. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank all of our listeners out there um, for your contributions, your support, your likes, your ratings, um, for following this podcast. It's been definitely an incredible experience. And as we try to cover different topics, all things compounding pharmacy related, um, we've reached many thousand listeners, and this is something that we've envisioned from the, from the get-go, uh, but most importantly, this is a great way to try to interface with you as you try to stay more connected into compounding pharmacy news, um, compounding pharmacy topics, and to be more aligned with how to improve your practice um, as a compounding pharmacist. But as I mentioned, today we, we will be diving into a different topic, um, something that we haven't necessarily covered thus far, which is more of the business side of running a pharmacy. And we are joined by our uh, by one of our guests, Brian Prescott. Thank you for joining us, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, Mike. Uh, we're looking forward to having you. And before we kick off, I just want to give everybody out there a, a brief description and a bit better understanding of what brought you to PCCA and also um, what more, more knowledge that you obviously bring to the table. Um, Brian was a graduate of the University of Houston where he completed his PharmD degree about 13 years ago. Um, he obviously served as a operations role in the greater Houston area. He's been part of our pharmacy consulting team for quite some time where he served for about three years um, where then he obviously transitioned into a different role. Uh, and he's been part of our member of our business management program for the last three and a half years. So you have close to eight years of experience here with PCCA, uh, but obviously in different realms, both from a pharmacy consulting point of view and now on the business side of things as well. Uh, Brian's currently completing his MBA with uh, Texas A&M University. So that obviously brings a whole new aspect into how he thinks as a pharmacist and how he works with our management team. Uh, but most importantly, Brian, if, if you can kind of give a better understanding to our listeners out there in terms of what you really do, because business management coaching seems like a very vague description, uh, but love to hear more about the description of what you do in your own words. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, so what uh, me and Bill Latton put together, uh, Bill's been doing it for at least a decade, but uh, what we've realized, uh, a lot of the pharmacists that go through the pharmacy curriculum and, and start their own business, we realize they don't have a, a real solid background in uh, pharmacy management, just some, something that wasn't taught at a lot of the universities. Um, I, I experienced this firsthand whenever I, I graduated uh, I, I worked one year in retail for one of the bigger chains, but then I was uh, approached by a, an independent pharmacy owner that was looking to open up a second location. So she came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in, in running this? And I, and I thought, sure, this sounded like a really unique opportunity and, and, and so, to do something I hadn't done before. Uh, so day one, 
got thrown into the pharmacy and uh, basically she just said go. And then you really come face to face with what you don't know about how to operate a pharmacy. And, and that starts with how do you market the pharmacy? How do you establish pricing? How do you enter into contracts with insurance companies? The, the, the whole, uh, the realm and, and what kind of market you're going to focus on. How do you do your market research? All of these things that generally weren't taught in pharmacy school that people have had to pick up as they've basically gone through their careers. Uh, Bill noticed that this was a need uh, years ago. A lot, actually, the department started with some of our more successful members. Uh, they had been in operations for quite some time, uh, but really needed help with identifying some of the inefficiencies uh, that go on in the pharmacies and how to interpret financial statements, how to maximize profits, uh, these type of things. So Bill started this program with, uh, based off of just those type of financial analysis. He brought me in a couple years ago after I spent some time in the, uh, the consulting department because he, he wanted to add an element of the marketing to that. He said, with your experiences that you've seen in the uh, consulting department, what is it that the doctors are asking for? What are the pharmacies clamoring for? What can we bring and add to the financial part of what we're trying to have our uh, members understand? So that's the part that I think I've added, too. Uh, we're constantly expanding on trying to make people better at analyzing their financial statements, but adding a little bit of that marketing element as well. So, so you, you joined their, the business management department three and a half years ago, and Mike mentioned that you're doing your MBA. So you, even though with this breadth of experience running in operations and, and looking at all of those pieces, you found that you still needed a little bit more to your arsenal to help members. So what was it that you found and how are you going to start utilizing that information? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked, Seb. Uh, the, the reason why I decided to pursue the MBA is I wanted to get a broader understanding of not just things that I could help operationally-wise with our members, but I wanted to be able to see how I could help PCCA uh, overall, look at the entire channel from sourcing chemicals to selling it to, the, to, the, uh, to our member pharmacies and then helping them with their pricing and marketing and all that. So I get a, a broader realm of the whole supply chain management, operations, human resource uh, development, all of those things that are taught at the MBA program uh, that I could add to the repertoire that I've already, uh, that I already have and add to my experiences. So, you know, one of the things that uh, most owners realize is they don't know what they don't know. And until you uh, go into a program like that, you start to realize how other, uh, not just pharmacies operate, but businesses in general, all of the things, there's some commonalities to all uh, aspects of business that you should be familiar with. And, and f reading financial statements is only one of those. But uh, supply chain management operations and human resources are a big part of what we do. Uh, and I've, you know, we I'm trying to expand my toolbox in the MBA program. So with that MBA program, and you're, you're, you've kind of almost shifted from management to coach. This is something we've discussed. And so tell me, you're a coach now. How, what do you coach your, your, your players, so to speak, your, your, the membership? How do you, how do you, how do you work with your yeah, team? I, I, I have to keep reminding myself that that is actually my title as coach and not consultant, because for years I worked with you, Seb, over in the consulting department and people would call in and say, hey, this is the problem I'm having. Do you have a solution? And I give them a solution first week that I worked with Bill, Bill said, you have to stop doing that. Uh, coaches don't tell people how to do things. They lead them to making the right decisions, analyze what they 
are currently doing, make suggestions, but it really has to be what their pharmacy, what they want their pharmacy to be. This is not me operating 30 or 50 different pharmacies that I coach. It's me helping them realize things that can be improved and, and helping them figure out the best way that their pharmacy is going to operate because every pharmacy is different. You know, I, you know, I, I don't, come off as an authority on this is the best practice on, in every situation. It's identifying things that they might not have looked at. Uh, that way they can improve it on themselves because when, it, when you make it their own, they're a lot more likely to, uh, to pursue it and be successful than if it is somebody else's idea. So with that coaching aspect, like how do people, how do people start? What's what, how do people start with you? What's the, how do they, how do they, get a coach? How do they, how do they, how do they undertake their steps to becoming better at what they want to do? And how do they retain their own brand yeah. with, within? Well, the first thing that I do, and whenever somebody expresses an interest in, in wanting to, some help. So I just tell them, Hey, give me a call. Uh, let's, let's chat an hour about what, what you're passionate about. Why'd you get into the industry? Why do you, why is this something that you want to pursue? Uh, and then I, so I can figure out where the passions lie because again, uh, you know, my, my, uh, expertise, so to speak, or my background. We did a lot of hospice palliative care. We did some hormones and vet, and we were also hybrid pharmacy. So we saw a lot of different things, but the things that interested me the most might not be the things that interest every one of the pharmacies out there. So I want to have that discussion and figure out what is it that they want help with. Uh, once I kind of establish the way that they're doing business, we ask them to send us uh, their last 12 months of historical data just so we can see get an overall picture of what the financial stability of the pharmacy looks like. What is their pricing strategy? Have they even addressed uh, what their margins should be? And not just gross profit margins and net profit margins, but payroll percentages, margins, uh, or, or marketing percentages, oper and other operationals. Have they ever broken down their financial statements to look and be able to compare what their finances are versus what we consider the benchmarks to be in the industry because it's something that me and Bill do. We have, uh, you know, uh, over 130, somewhere where 150 clients or so that send us financial data that we keep confidential. But what we do is we analyze that data. Uh, and what we try to do is establish benchmarks on what profitable pharmacies look like. That way, whenever we ask somebody to say, okay, send us over your data, we take the data and we compare it to some of our stronger members and say, hey, these are these are areas that you have significant differences in. Uh, tell me about why your expenses are what they are. Uh, so that's that's the baseline finances that we look at. Uh, once we establish that, we'd have a little discussion about pricing and what what things drive pricing in their market, uh, whether it's it's competition in the area or, you know, the, are they dispensing a lot of more commoditized type products, or are they more into the specialty goods? Uh, because there's huge price differences between what you're capable of doing based off of your type of business. So initially financial statements, a little bit about pricing, and then I really want to uh, talk about what categories, what, what segments of business are you really into? Are you into HRT? Are you into VET? Are you into DERM? What is it you, that you're really into? And what type of uh, compounds are you currently offering? Because I think it's easier to cater to their strengths and say, okay, this is a market segment that you're really dominant in. Have you considered some of these other options? Because I noticed that those are some things you're not dispensing, and maybe we can open up the toolbox on some of your current prescribers. So that's kind of my mentality. Find out what they do well, see if we can improve upon that, but then look at the segments that they might be missing and say, well, here's, here's some opportunities that you might not have explored before. 
here's a couple formulas that uh, our other pharmacies have found to be successful. Why don't we go out and try to take advantage of some of those opportunities? So that's that's kind of the nutshell. I know that sounds like a lot to go over in the, in the first hour, but we try to touch on that. And then once we have an overall picture of the pharmacy, then we develop a plan on what things are, are going to have the most impact in the shortest amount of time. And let's work on that for the first quarter. But always kind of keeping an eye on what those finances might be, uh, how they might affect bottom line. So what's interesting to me, Brian, is that you have definitely unique experience. You're somebody who comes from potentially looking at the financials of simply a retail pharmacy, but then you also have the exposure and you're looking at all the data from hybrid pharmacies, those that have a normal retail prescription front and then also cover compounding medications. So in, I would say, what stands out to you? What is so unique about some of these hybrid pharmacies that are not necessarily just compounding only, but individuals who have added compounding to their practice um, and something that stands out or that is very evident on your behalf when looking at some of these financial statements? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because that is, that is something that me and Bill uh, work really diligently to try to analyze. Um, as a lot of people are familiar, uh, uh, that do traditional pharmacy of the NCPA Digest, it's, it's been renamed a couple of different things. It used to be called the Lilly Digest, but a number of, it, basically they're benchmarks that NCPA puts together every year. It's a voluntary type of, uh, of submission where you would send your profit loss statements to them and they'll analyze things like what is your appropriate gross profit? How much should you be spending in advertising? Um, how much should you be, uh, what sh should your payroll percentage be, occupancy, and all your operational costs. And when you look at those and, and try to compare those type of numbers to a compounding pharmacy, they're significantly different. And it's only because of the, really, the, the cost of goods sold has a, a tremendous impact, and the operations and payroll has a tremendous impact. So if you, if you simply compare a compounding pharmacy to those benchmark numbers, the, the numbers are really, really skewed. Uh, so what we find is interesting is me and Bill offered an opportunity to take that those compounding numbers and really analyze those against other compounding pharmacies and then be able to, to, to look at a pharmacy uh, relative to the amount of hybrid business that they do and, and figure out, okay, if, if you're on the hybrid scale or if you're on the traditional uh, prescription only, these are what your financial statements we would expect to look like. But if you're on the compounding side, this is what they would look like. Uh, and the net profits on compounding are, are, as a percentage of sales, do tend to be higher. Uh, and it, it is because the cost of ingredients do tend to be lower. Um, and the overall sales do tend to be lower than you would see at a retail shop. Uh, but it does make a higher impact on your gross, on your, on your net profit. So whenever we add a compounding segment to a traditional pharmacy, we really can kind of see how the positive effect on that net income pans out. And based off of the, the amount of, uh, of compounding that they do, we can be fairly predictive on what we think those profits should be. Is this easy to project, especially when somebody has an established business? Are you able to do forecasting models based on compounding as a portion of their revenue and their profit? We, well, and that's what we try to do. We try to, to, once we have both sets of data, we try to analyze what impact is the compounding making. And if we were to increase the compounding by 
10% next year, what would that look like on, on the bottom line? But how would it affect your other expenses as well? That way you'll notice that, hey, my payroll percentage actually went up, you know, as my compounding went up, but that would be expected. Uh, but as long as you have a proportional increase in your net profit, and hopefully it's even higher, then it does justify itself. So those are all of the things that you should be cognizant of whenever you decide that, whenever you're making your business plan to, to move forward with the compounding. So with that analysis, are you spotting specific uh, practice trends, not not clinical practice trends, but almost like uh, business practice trends that are uh, that are replicable or duplicated amongst these successful hybrid models or compounding only pharmacies? Like, in, and are you able to coach people in that direction? Mike talked about projections. Are you able to? This is these are the planned steps for you to achieve the goals that you have and this is how you, this is all part of the coaching correct oh absolutely and one of the things that you you talked about is uh you know what what impacts on that financial statement uh, would we consider to be normal if you're going to increase uh, like i said if you're going to increase your uh, your compounding um, how many more compounds should i be doing before say i need to hire a new technician and how, what would that look like on the financial statement? Because so, that's a big question that we get is we're getting busier and busier, but I'm afraid that if we add another comp or another technician or even another pharmacist, how is that going to impact our bottom line? And, we, and by knowing what those numbers should be or whatever what the benchmarks traditionally suggest that, they're, that they are, we'll say, yeah, you actually have room to hire that person based off of what the industry standards suggest. Uh, if for some reason you're already maxed out on your on the payroll based off of what we think your profits justify, we'll start to think, well, is there something operationally that we're missing? Uh, maybe we can make more efficient use of the people that we already have uh, based off the kind of business that you're doing. So being able to analyze financial statements in that way really helps us drive those decisions. And as the coach, because you actually have a unique perspective, retail, operations, consulting, clinical, and now in, into the, the management, do you ever coach people on some of their operations pieces? Or, or do you kind of stand back and say, hey, this is, this is where we, we have to step out? Or can you still help with coaching in that respect? Uh, again, without trying to take over their practice, we, we make suggestions on what we think the an output, for example, of a compounding pharmacist or company technician should be. How many logs can they produce a day? Is there an opportunity to do some batch filling as long as, for one, BUDs are supportive of that and you're not uh, stepping on any kind of regulatory issues as far as having too much product on the shelf and that kind of thing. So from that operational perspective, absolutely, we'll make suggestions. Uh, but again, what, what I try to encourage my, my owners to do is don't lean on us as much to, to find out operational inefficiencies. Ask your staff because they're the ones that work there. If you can get them to buy into improving the operations of the staff, for, it, for one, it, it makes them more motivated to do their own jobs, and it, and it empowers them. So I find that actually the best pharmacies are the ones that – regularly engage with their employees, uh, and, and this is why I always encourage our pharmacies to have uh, meetings at least once a month. Once a week would be even better, but at least once a month to to try to get some of those ideas out in the open. Hey, you, you guys are in the trenches every day. You see the operations. What things do you think would improve the pharmacy? And you're asking the staff, not dictating the terms. Uh, and so I certainly don't want to dictate terms down, but I will make suggestions on things I've seen and, and when, when, when asked to do so. So if you were if you were sitting with a new client right now, 
what are some of the more common questions you you get that you would you would address that you could actually kind of hey this is this is if you're asking yourselves these questions here's some basic basic understanding so that maybe it drives people to search better outcomes and better coaching well one of the first things that uh, that I liked or at least try to bring up early in the conversations after we do an initial financial analysis is to try to establish you know what their marketing plan is um, most pharmacists aren't built to be marketers. Uh, there are some that are that are very, very good at that, so I don't want to kind of broad brush too much. But most of us are very, very good at the analytics. We're very good at coming up with solutions. Uh, but we're not great at, as far as getting out there and, and implementing a marketing plan. So that's one of the things that I, most people will struggle with. So first of all, what I tell them to do is you have to come up with, you have to establish who is going to be your target audience or your target market. So make a list of prescribers of everybody in your area that potentially you can go see. Take that list, segment it into their practice specialties, and now you have a, an agenda, so to speak, on all of the doctors that you want to see over a given period of time. Okay, So at the same time, look at the, the prescribers that are already sending you business. Now, this is, these are the people you certainly want to have a lot, spend a lot of time with. I recommend seeing those doctors every four to six weeks and having some kind of really influential touch to them. Every time you go to see them, bring them one or two new ideas. They might not take every new idea that you say and start writing prescriptions for it, but it gets them in the mindset of, hey, I'm working with somebody that's an innovator. Uh, we don't want them to think that we just make this one product over and over and over. We want them to think, hey, if I got a problem, I'm calling these people and they're going to come up with a solution for you. So making those regular visits is, is the easiest thing to do because these people already know you and already have a relationship. But there's got to be a plan somewhere to be able to make those touches to those prescribers that don't use you on a regular basis, whether that's once a quarter or twice a year or whatever, but you have to have something in place to be able to do that. Uh, one of the things that I've developed is I have written scripts for both scenarios. These are the things that I would cover when I go to talk to a doctor that is already using me. These are the things I would cover on, a, on when I talk to a doctor that isn't currently using me. Uh, just so it can, and it doesn't, and I don't expect my members to use it as a, uh, as, as uh, the only script that's possible, but it does give them some strategic uh, way to go about having these office visits. And I think that's very helpful for them. You know, um, when we interviewed Erin Michael and we discussed marketing in general, we the first question that I had for her was, where do people start with a marketing plan and, and how to start analyzing your needs and, and wants and every, the direction that you want to go? And it was interesting because that was a whole episode on its own. Um, thinking about the business side of, of and the coaching that you provide and the program that we provide as well, but what are the other areas that you've identified as being shortcomings or something that you've, you've noticed yourself jump into right away with even a new customer or potentially not a new customer, but in your pharmacy? What are the biggest pitfalls that you've, you see as a challenge for a lot of pharmacies that are out there? Well, just not having the marketing plan at all. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. When I, I ask people to submit me a, a written marketing plan and, and hardly ever get one. Uh, but it just goes to show that there, there isn't a whole lot of uh, thought that's being put into developing one. It's usually kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type of 
scenario with the marketing efforts. Uh, but this is the biggest part of your business, right? Especially if you're a compounding only. You're a referral type business. If you're not going out there and asking for the business, the doctors don't know to send you the business because people just don't stumble in your pharmacy. And it goes back to what we were talking about with the hybrid pharmacies on um, you don't get that casual foot traffic. Uh, so that that's probably the biggest deficiency. Uh, a lot of the, the pharmacists, you know, they'll do the education. They'll learn all of the things that they need to know to be able to make a good compound and be able to make solid therapeutic recommendations. So they have the knowledge. They just, a lot of them lack the spark to get out there and actually go get the business. Um, so one of the things I, I, I try to identify with my people is you're going to have two sets of people that you need to go out and market to. Most people identify, well, i got to get out and market to the physicians, which is, you know, it, it, that's, that's, that's obvious. But I also ask, well, what are you doing to market directly to the patients? Do you have a, a solid website? Do you have a, a good uh, presence on social media? Uh, do flyers work in your area? And, and do you have somebody that can, can get you some good marketing materials that you can have? Uh, send out to your people. So uh, every month whenever I talk to my clients, I, I want to ask, what are you doing to promote your business to prescribers? What are you doing to promote your business to the patients? And you really have to address both. So if you were to go back and say, I've got uh, X amount of clients, and I don't want names and I don't want absolute numbers, oh, but you've got members who are very successful, very big, where would you see like a rough percentage of say some of their marketing is going and where do you see the biggest overspend and where do you see the biggest underspend within those analytics? Is that a fair question to ask? Am it, I allowed to ask that? It's, it's a fair question to ask where I see a lot of the underspend. I rarely see the overspend. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a perfect answer because yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, what, one of the things that I, I, I try to uh, encourage is Getting away from the more commoditized products whenever possible. Uh, when, when I talk about the commoditized products, uh, a lot of, I, I, and HRT usually comes to mind whenever, whenever people consider, well, what is it that everybody else does? And that's what I mean by commoditized. What is that industry that everybody else is? And I love HRT. And I would say most of the, the clients that we have have a very, very solid basis in HRT. But it is one of the easier things for people to, to do. Uh, and it is in high demand, so I do encourage people to do it. Uh, but whenever you have something that, that, that everybody can do, it, my question is, what do you do that's different? That everybody else is doing. Are you doing the consulting? Are you offering the testing? Uh, do you have some kind of unique delivery device that you're you're offering with those more commoditized lines? Uh, those those lines do give you repeat business. Hormones, especially because the the patients will continue to come back and see you. LDN, kind of the same thing. It's becoming so big that a lot of people are doing it. Uh, so what is it that you? What is it about your offering that makes it a little different? These are the people that have that are the most successful. Is when they offer something other than the product. Itself, when they're offering some kind of value-added service along with those things. And then whenever you get that steady stream of business, what else can I add that goes along with those things? What else can I add for women's health, for example, if you're doing a lot of HRT? What are the women's health options that are more unique? Uh, and that really endears yourself to the prescribers and the patients. It, th this actually touches on another subject altogether. Um, when diversifying your product mix and start looking at different segments, different areas, now we're starting to really get a better understanding of operating expense, cost of goods sold, 
um, and and truly understanding whether or not it's even viable for someone to jump into different markets sometimes, and sometimes it's not. Do they want to spend, like you said, that those marketing efforts in the right areas, or do they want to build on something that they're really, really good at? Um, but a, I think the biggest question that we always get, and I think it's something that we even see in training and during our C3 class, is the subject of pricing. How to price, and how to price some of those... Um, I'm not going to say oddball products, but some of the the less common compounds that are very different that what could set somebody apart. So, any recommendations on analyzing operating expense, cost of goods sold, um, and whether or not to venture into new areas, new niches that could potentially be, for the most part, could scare a lot of people because they have no idea what to price. So. Is that something that you can try to give our listeners a bit better of an understanding, or is it even possible to answer that question? It, it, no, it is. And, and one of the things that uh, I'll ask whenever pricing comes up is uh, minimum price. Does, and, does somebody have a minimum price? Uh, and usually somebody will have something right at the top of their head that they're going to throw at you. Uh, but then I challenge them on where did you determine the minimum price from? Because it's not about minimum price, because you haven't even establish what is your overhead marketing, or not overhead marketing, but uh, what is your overhead cost or marginal cost for producing an item? We call it cost of dispensing. So whenever, it's another thing that we do when we take on a new client is we, we take all of their, their finances and then ignoring the cost of the ingredient, what is the cost of the process? So we work them through the profit loss statement to, to determine what is your cost to dispense a product. And cost of of dispensing a compounded product, uh, not surprisingly, is much much higher than it is uh, dispensing a normal retail product. So until you figure out what is my average cost to dispense something, which is largely made up of marginal costs, what are those marginal costs? It's really tough to determine what your pricing is because you have to be able to determine, is this even profitable to go into this line of business? Like I said, if somebody's cornered the market, has a huge commoditized business, and you're, then you're going to come in and compete on price, with them, and they're, what you're dispensing, you're, 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 the price that you're charging is less than your cost to dispense, it's not profitable to do so. So what other opportunities are out there? Uh, what other parts of the, and, and this goes to even when you're, before you even open the pharmacy, you know, are you going to go into a market that you have a lot of players who are dispensing that type of product versus looking for an area that might not have as much uh, market saturation. So those are all those kind of things coming to bear. But until you know what your cost of dispense is, you really don't have a good idea on what you should price. So that, that has to be one of the first things that you address. Uh, and then once you know what your cost of dispensing is, then you can make some uh, uh, concessions on things that you might be able to do in large volumes. It, it, again, we talked about batching and, and whatever. It, again, uh, making sure that you're staying within BUDs and regulatory compliance on those issues. Uh, but then you'll be able to analyze things that are more the one-offs, the, the specialty items. Uh, and once you know what your cost of dispensing is, and then you, you realize what concessions you might be making on the more commoditized products, it helps you determine what your pricing is on those more specialty type items. So when you were talking about cost of dispensing versus, um, it, well, cost of ingredients, because people tend to price when they talk about cost of ingredients, and they don't think they realize just how small that portion can be. Can you break down a little bit of when you talk about marginal cost, cost of dispensing versus cost of ingredients? And I think you probably did some analytics and you have an idea of about the approximate ingredient cost with respect to final value 
out yeah, the door. Yeah, that's a great point, Seb, and I'm glad you bring that up. Because when we look at the cost of ingredients, uh, I would say the overall industry average, so to speak, is about 15%. And it, so on, the, on any compound on that any you push compound. out the door. Right, right. When it, whenever you consider all of the, the, the compounds that you're doing, whenever we analyze that data, uh, most people, their cost of ingredients are around 15%. 15 to 20 is if you're throwing in the, the dispensing device. So you'll, that makes you aware that most of your expenses do not lie in the ingredient cost, but really it's the operational costs that, that are really driving a lot of that. And that's where the cost of dispensing comes from, is analyzing those numbers. And, being, and once we establish what an individual's cost of dispensing is, obviously we're going to compare that to pharmacies that are similar to theirs. But really, it's a benchmark for that pharmacy to try to improve upon from year to year. Uh, actually, I, I suggest that people do more than once a year, analyze their cost of dispensing, usually every six months, and to see, am I getting better at this? Uh, am I getting more efficient in my pharmacy? Because the, the lower you make the cost of dispensing, which is the bigger part, not the ingredient cost, the more profitable the pharmacy, the more drops down into the net profit line. So on that, can you break down a couple of these? And you you use the term marginal cost. Where, I, I you know what jumps out to me is things like uh, rent, heating, insurance, payroll. Like, do you, do you have some? I don't want to take anything away from your coaching sessions, but you know where do you where do you see people making the biggest improvements in efficiencies to or biggest changes to cost of dispensing? Right. Well, rent. By and large, a fixed cost. Uh, that's, that doesn't really change too much until you get to the point where you're dispensing so much that you have to have a bigger operations, and then that, that could change. Uh, payroll, is it, it, most people consider it a fixed cost, but it really is a semi-fixed cost because as, as you know, you're going to be paying the same payroll uh, until you get to the point where you need to hire more people, and then it's a step variable cost. So that that's a big uh, uh, cost suck for a lot of uh pharmacies. So to be able to analyze that, that payroll percentage and, and keep it within a reasonable amount. And again, in our, in our industry, I think most people will be surprised that uh, even most compounding only pharmacies, their payroll percentage is about 40% of what their total sales is. Compare that to a traditional pharmacy, which is generally around 12%. But it's be because the the ingredient costs are so low uh, as a relative percentage of the entire thing that that 40% is manageable. Uh, we do have people that can manage on a 30%. We have people that are slightly above 40%, but that's kind of the realm that you're in. So the better that you can uh, make your operations the and lower that payroll percentage, the more that you can push toward their net profit line. Well, those 12% pharmacies are usually like places that have ungodly hours and no one wants to work there anyway. So right. that's what, <laughs> <laughs> so, so by and large, like you're, you're seeing the similarities over different ranges of pharmacies, but you've got members who like, what, who's your smallest client right now? Numbers or numbers, because I want people to see that it's really accessible. Mm -hmm. um, you're not just doing all 300 compounds a day sort of pharmacies you're doing. Well, our, well our, our smallest pharmacy opened uh, a month ago. So they're at zero. They're, well, they, I think well hopefully they, they're at 25 a day now. I think they did five now. compounds last week. So. <laughs> that is amazing. Congratulations <laughs> to whoever that is. Congratulations on your so, benchmark. So yeah. keep going. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have – so we have – members that start at that point, and then we have people that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do 100 compounds a day uh, or more. So we have the entire breadth of uh, – 
of the prescribing world, so to speak, in, in the compounding space. And you're seeing improvements with all of them. When once you get into being a coach, you're seeing that that uh, that that growth, that that in invigoration, so to speak, and seeing that that sort of once they start doing the analysis, they really become invested in it, and they see the increased value of having that compounding piece to add it to their pharmacy yeah. regardless. Well, it makes them aware. It makes them, uh, it gives them the tools to make smarter decisions, uh, being aware of where the expenses are and feeling like they're in control of the expenses versus the expenses being in control of them. So having that awareness, uh, I, I think, is the, the, the fundamental thing that we do. The marketing is great. The HR is great. And we, we like to think that we make a significant impact. But just educating the people on what they should be looking for uh, I, I think is the biggest piece of what we do. Are we at a period almost of resurgence where there's a lot more independent community pharmacies that are starting up and that are looking at getting involved and looking at the hybrid model, for example? Is that something that is very 2019 versus potentially 2016? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I don't think that that has really ever changed because uh, pharmacy owners are always looking for ways to increase their their bottom line. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, insurance, uh, it, it's no big uh, surprise that uh, in the retail setting that it, those margins are getting smaller and smaller all the time. Um, it's just it's. It's just something that is a fact of life, you know. It's it. So people are looking for other ways to differentiate themselves from the the big box players and, and those kind of things, uh, to be able to add something else to their uh, arsenal of offerings, so to speak. And uh, you know, whether it be on a cash basis or otherwise, um, but they they always need to be innovating and finding new ways to to reinvent themselves and and have other offerings to really add value to uh, to the customers. What excites you the most? I'm sorry? What excites you the most? Uh, what excites me the most? Uh, pharmacy related. Pharmacy related. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, it is encouraging because I would say the, the, the vast majority of our clients are, are seeing uh, positive growth. And, you know, uh, so Whenever I was responsible for one pharmacy, you know, what, what, what got me going every day is making those differences, especially in the lives of hospice patients or whatever. Uh, and now I, I have, uh, you know, 40 or so pharmacies that I get to look at every single day and, and, and try to make meaningful impacts for. So that's what excites me. Yeah, no doubt. And I think what's probably the most positive news for the market in general is to hear that, yes, you have... X amount of pharmacies that are under your watch, under your coaching supervision, uh, but that you're seeing growth. Right. So the market is promising. You know, the industry is fairly solid. Um, we're in a growth phase, uh, which is probably good news for anybody out there listening. Even thinking about the idea of compounding, well, you have a pretty wide range of, of an audience that are growing across the board. So things are moving well. Things are going well uh, in their respective markets. And obviously, you're dealing with people in yeah. any state. Well, and, and, and to, to kind of uh, get on, piggyback on that, Mike, is compounding is something that you're going to be more in control over. Uh, whenever you are in, in just the retail space, you're basically at the mercy of uh, the prescribing habits of the doctors, the PBMs, and, and, and what drives that, that industry. Uh, there's very little that you can do to influence the therapeutic outcomes. Uh, you're, you're generally reacting to whatever the... Uh, the you know what, whatever's being prescribed, but as a when you're adding compounding to your 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 
offerings, you actually are the ones that's determining some of the, that therapy. You know, you're offering these ideas to the doctor. And being able to do that, I, I find is a lot more rewarding to the, the, our more successful pharmacies. You know, that's what they enjoy is, I, you know, I made these recommendations, I made this, I made this patient well. It wasn't something that came from a manufactured product or whatever, which there, obviously there's a place for, and I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, discouraging the use of manufactured products in any way. I think that obviously that those are, are, are very important to our industry as well. Uh, but being able to use some of that, that knowledge that pharmacists are trained to do uh, and can, can con- continue to train to do and to find new ways and challenge themselves, uh, I, I think is, is extremely rewarding. I, I find that working with our PCCA for this long, uh, being involved in this, the initial training with, these, with the new members, there's an immense amount of raw talent and passion and excitement for, for wanting to get into compounding. Uh, incredible clinical skills. We see people from all levels of pharmacy coming through. I, I just see you like the, uh, the, the ultimate coach in taking this raw talent and making them from good to great. And so I really appreciate what, what, you've, what you've given to me personally because I've learned a ton from you over the last few years, just even hallway discussions, but also formal uh, presentations. So Brian, I just want to say thank you so much for, for sharing any of this time that you've got to share um, and then your knowledge. And I look forward to seeing more and more of the successes with your, with your, with your, with your talent that's coming through. So yeah. thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Seb. It's been my pleasure to be a part of all this. Yeah. I, thank you, Brian. You, you have such a unique experience uh, being from an operations role, doing your MBA, being PharmD, uh, and now in the last three and a half years, having this direct experience with all these pharmacies that were basically lean on you as their coach and mentor. So I think it's such an such a great breath of fresh air to hear from a different perspective and to hear about more of the business mind of things. And I think for the listeners out there to hear about the positivity and the growth that you see on a daily basis and not necessarily from what you provide, but just what you're seeing out there. And I think it's it's great data and it's we appreciate you sharing it. So thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Mike. For all of our listeners out there who want to get in contact with you, Um, you can reach Brian directly at B Prescott with two T's at PCCARX.com. And you can also reach out to our CPMS group. Uh, If you actually go directly to our public site, PCCARX.com forward slash join CPMS. And that'll be the easiest way to get in contact with both yourself um, and our CPMS group. So once again, Brian, thank you. We'd like to thank all of our listeners out there who have tuned into this episode. We'd like to remind you to look us up on www.pccarx.com where you could subscribe to our blog listing and obviously be and stay in tune and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, please like us, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Until the next episode, my name is Mike Delicio. I'm Sebastian Dennison, and thank you for joining us. Take care.